It's good to be with you all again today. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. And I'm going to be having Alina Diaz reading our scripture for us tonight. We are in the midst, almost three months into the coronavirus. Our state of emergency in New Jersey has been extended for another month to the beginning of June. And while we see other states and parts of the country opening up, it doesn't seem like Jersey is anytime soon going to be opening up. You see, our state has been one of the hardest hit by the coronavirus. We have church members that have lost loved ones, uh, family members that have gotten sick, people that have lost their jobs or their um, other hardships that they are going through. And what I want to do today is I want to strengthen you in your faith. How can I do this? Shall I give you hope politically and comfort that America is going to bounce back and we will have great bipartisan unity and that the democratic system is going to right all the wrongs? Shall I strengthen you with hope scientifically and comfort you and let you know that scientists are working around the clock to find a vaccine or therapeutic to get us through this uh, very rapidly? Shall I strengthen you financially and say that uh, senators and congressmen are meeting to try to give us more stimulus money so we can make it through this time? The answer to those three questions is simply no. I will not try to strengthen you in these ways because they cannot provide lasting hope that we all need in this time. The American political system is destructible. The scientific community can do the best that they can, but maybe they won't be able to find a vaccine. And the financial future is not going to be easily rectified. What I will try to do in this time is strengthen you with hope and hope that's not based on temporary things, but hope that's based in everlasting, eternal, and ultimately powerful, lasting hope that's grounded in the Bible. So where do we get this? It is found in the love of God. Our hope, church family, is that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No death, no suffering, no misfortune. You see, the anchor for our soul in this time is this, from this passage. Jesus Christ, our King, has died for our sins. He was raised by God for us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding on our behalf. And I want to look at those four anchors today and give you everlasting hope. The first is that Christ died for us. Our security in the midst of this pandemic has to start with this foundational truth. Jesus Christ died for us. James Montgomery Boyce in a sermon made this point. If Paul were one of our contemporary Bible teachers of modern the- or modern theologians, he might answer our doubts by saying, you do not need to worry about your eternal future because God loves you and God is love. 
But Paul was a pastor, and he knew well that we can all easily doubt such statements, particularly when life becomes difficult. We might say, I grant that God is love, but does he really love me? How can I believe he loves me when I have lost my job, when my husband or wife has left me for someone else, when I have been diagnosed with an incurable disease? Boyce goes on, these are the times when I just do not feel that God loves me or that he even cares about me. Paul knew that mere assurances that God loves us are not effective. So instead of dealing with our doubts on an emotional level, which is what God's love loves you does, he turns from emotional experiences to sure facts. According to this verse, we can know that God is for us, not because we somehow sense that it is nature to be loving, but because he gave his son for us. This is great perspective, which is seen earlier in the book of Romans. And it really forces us to grip with just the amazing sacrifice for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, our salvation is an amazing gift. We did not deserve it at all, nor did we earn it. In uh, verse 32 of chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also be graciously giving us all things? This is the amazing truth. And the Apostle Paul talks about God's love for us and his death for us when we didn't deserve it um, earlier when he talks about our election. And uh, a Christian artist, Shai Lin, makes a beautiful picture of this. Some people think that we were drowning in the ocean, that we were barely floating, and God threw a rope to us, and we clung to the rope, and he rescued us. He took us out on his boat, and he delivered us. But this is the furthest thing from the truth. You see, when Christ saved us, when he died for us, this is where we were. We were dead at the bottom of the sea. Our corpse was swollen. We had no hope but Jehovah. The Lord dove from the shore to the ocean floor to revive us, to restore us. That is what is amazing about God's love for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do any work to own it. He did it all. His sacrifice is amazing. Jesus Christ died for us is the first anchor. And what's the second anchor? Jesus Christ rose for us. You see, crucifixion was the most barbaric way of ending a life in the Roman days. 
You see, it was the death penalty that Jews wouldn't do. Jews, what they would do is typically stone someone, but the Romans, they wanted to just basically show you that you are beneath human, that you are the lowest person on society. They would degrade you to make you inhuman. Thousands of criminals were crucified on Roman crosses, but none of them ever came from the dead. Even Jesus' disciples that had followed him in his life, that had seen him raise three people and probably more from the dead, they thought it was all over. They went back to their jobs, to their livelihoods. They didn't continue on the mission because they thought everything was done. But this was not the end. Christ Jesus, who is the one who died, more than that, more than that, he was raised. And Christ alone says this, there in the ground his body lay, a light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again and he stands in victory. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to a reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. You see, church family, the anchor for our soul, the next one is that Jesus Christ has risen. He has conquered the grave. The apostle Peter mentions this hope we can have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was raised by the Father for our sake. The wrath of God was satisfied. We do not have a debt that we still have to pay. We are free. Death no longer has dominion over us. Christ has arose. And there's three benefits to this, the resurrection and what can anchor our souls in this time. You see, one of them is this, the power over sin. It, sin no longer has power over us. I can put sin to death. I can put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can mortify my flesh because Jesus Christ arose. I can tap into his resurrection power. It gives me a purpose to serve like you saw our nurses and our medical workers do because we know we serve a risen savior. He gives us the strength to press on even when it seems frightful and fearful because we can trust in his resurrection power to strengthen us. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter three, verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We can live for God with hope. Not only has Jesus Christ died for us and he arose for us, us, Christ is at the right hand of the Father, Father seated on his throne. To be at the right hand of the Father was a powerful statement for first century Christians who understood their Old Testament. You see this? Jewish readers understood that the temple, that there are no chairs, there are no seats, 
in the holy place. Why? Because the priest had to constantly work and move and work and make sacrifices over and over and over again because the wrath of God was not satisfied. However, our great high priest, Jesus, who has finished salvation's work for us and satisfied the wrath of God, is seated on the throne ruling. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says this, and every priest, get this, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The work for our atonement is finished. He's seated on the throne ruling. Psalm chapter 110 verse 1, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament uh, says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, what is Jesus Christ doing at the right hand of the Father? He is ruling, ruling and reigning over all. He is in full control. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says this, after Jesus was raised from the dead, He's now seated at right in the heavenly places. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. To be at God's right hand, the Father's right hand, is to rule over all with authority and power. You see, our Savior is triumphant over all. And this gives us confidence because God is not pacing around in the heavens wondering what's going on. If you remember from my sermon in Psalm chapter 2, Christ is ruling and reigning over all. While the nations are raging and the people are plotting in vain, Christ is ruling and reigning over all. This is another anchor for our soul. And the last anchor for our soul is that Christ intercedes for us. Again, in verse 34, indeed, he is interceding for us. Let me see. So what has Jesus done now that he's finished his earthly ministry? Is he up in heaven kick back, relax, not doing anything? No, we already know he's ruling and reigning. But not only that, he's actually interceding on our behalf. Earlier in the book of Romans in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, it says this about Christ, uh, about the Holy Spirit's intercessory ministry. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is praying for us, even when we're not able to understand or comprehend what we should say. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. But not only that, 
Jesus Christ is interceding for us between the Father. Jesus is praying for us to stay faithful to our calling, stay faithful to our King. We see this, Jesus interceding on the behalf of his disciples when Jesus is talking to the Apostle Peter. When Peter was going to be tempted to deny Christ when Christ was going to be arrested. He says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like the wheat. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus interceded for Peter. Peter, though he would fail, he did not fall away from his faith because Christ was interceding on his behalf. And he's interceding on our behalf. And this gives us security in our salvation. An old preacher asked this, if you knew that Jesus was in the next room praying for you, would it make a difference? Would it change the way you live your life? If you knew that Jesus Christ was in the next room on his knees praying for you, what difference would it make in your life? Would you have courage? Would, you, would it give you sorrow over your sin? Would it at the same time fill your heart with joy? And would it not give you hope? that Jesus, our wonderful, merciful Savior, is interceding on our behalf, that Jesus Christ is praying for us. We have those four anchors for our souls, church family. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ arose for us. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning and that Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. So then the question is this. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What shall separate us from his love? Is there any way that can get in between us and the love of God? You see, in this time, People are asking, does God still love me because bad things are happening to to me? Does God still care about me because my family is really going through it right now? And what Paul is telling us is that tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword, nothing can get in the way of God's love for you. All these things cannot stop God's love for you. You see, tribulation, life may be crushing you at the moment. You may have taken many blows. It feels like Satan is ever present in your life and is trying to destroy any sense of peace that you have. Can this get in the way of God's love from you? No. Distress, this word means narrow space, confined, pressured. You may feel confined to the obligations that you have, the responsibilities and duties, uh, the two roles that you're juggling through work and now taking care of your kids. The pressure is just mounting up. Does this mean that God doesn't love you? No. Persecution, 
You see, to be mocked or ridiculed or abandoned because of your faith, does this separate you? No. Famine and nakedness, which is virtually unheard of for the American church, sadly now more and more people are experiencing that. Can that separate you from the love of God? No. Dagger or sword? No. And Paul goes on in verse 38 to list other things that people may think this may separate us from God's love for us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord does not matter how weak you are, how vulnerable you may be, how fragile you may be experiencing. It only matters that you have a strong shepherd who says he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose victoriously. For you, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, controlling the events in the world. And Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf to strengthen our faith when we feel weary and burdened by life. Verse 37 talks about this. Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are super conquerors. We, church family, cannot just get by during this coronavirus. No, we can thrive through this coronavirus because we know that we have Jesus Christ and his love for us as the anchor for our soul. We know we have a risen Savior who rules and reigns and is coming back again. So in the midst of this pandemic, we turn to his love and his care for us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and we just ask you, Lord, that you would help us in this time. There's a lot of fear and a lot of worry with what's going on in our country, Lord. And we just ask that we would turn to your truth to be the anchor for our soul. We would turn to your truth to be the thing that guides us and directs us, that we would hide ourselves behind the cross of Jesus Christ, that we would cling to you and know that you are good and loving and in full control. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.